Well, hello, everybody. My name is Tom Miller, and I am the owner and CEO of Leaders Building Leaders, the organization uh, that wakes up every single day to be the difference maker in the leadership development of individuals and organizations. So, so excited for you to invest some time with us today, uh, whether you're on this call uh, live with us or as part of uh, our archive series. Uh, we welcome you. Right? It is our job, uh, our job, Katie and I, uh, the two members of Leaders Building Leaders, it's our job to share uh, through this platform what we are learning about leadership. Uh, Katie and I both, as you know, both being charter school principals in the past, and John Maxwell team certified coaches. I mean, we have this incredible opportunity to learn from some of the greatest thought leaders of all time and also to walk the halls of some of the most effective public charter schools across the country. So we're excited. When we learn something, good or bad, right, good or bad, it's, my, it's our job. It's our job is to accelerate your learning through this program, uh, Blueprint for Success. So thanks for being on the call with us and investing a little bit of time uh, today. Um, I'm going to specifically talking about the number one solution to solving all of your problems. The number one solution to solving all of your problems. Now, you might be wondering what that is. <laughs> what that is. So I travel. I travel about 30 to 33,000 miles each year by car. And I know that only because I was just doing my taxes and I like to compare each year whether I'm getting better or worse. And I wouldn't, you know, a better means that I'm driving less, but doesn't ever seem to be the case. It gets close every year. And this doesn't include the four or five maybe cross-country flights that, you know, we, you know, that we may utilize through helping organizations across the country. So, so I travel a lot. Let's just say that. And recently, I've just been noticing the number of fast food restaurants. It's maybe because I, I stopped eating bread and realized like, when I'm on the road, it's hard for me to find anything to eat on the go. Uh, but, so, but I did know there's tons of, there's so many fast food restaurants. They're everywhere I go. And so I started to think about how many people they have to hire. Well, what's the hiring process of a, of a fast food restaurant? I wonder what their qualifications are. What's their process? Especially because I just read that they're, they're talking about raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour, which isn't too far. When I thought about it, when I started teaching in 2000, it wasn't too far from the actual hourly wage that I was receiving. My starting salary as a teacher was $25,000 a year in New Hanover County in 2000, 19 years ago now. If you think about it, $15 an hour is in a 40-hour work week. That's $600 times four weeks is $2,400, right? And we all know the teachers, we don't only work. We don't only work 40 hours a week. So actually, someone flipping burgers in 2020 might be making more than I was as a teacher. But anyway, but I thought about the level of personalized skill differences needed between the two. I completely different skills from flipping burgers to educating the future of our world, <laughs> right? Maybe 
skills and responsibility are massive differences. Yet many of the schools that I worked with right, or had conversations with principals over the past seven years as a consultant, they seem to have very similar hiring process. It's very basic, you know, from resume to interview to hire, right? Resume to interview to orientation. Really just focus on competency and skill rather than character, success, and drive. So I thought back to when I was a principal and the staff that I was able to recruit at our school. Now, of course, you've heard my story. There were a few clunkers. But I have a reason behind every clunker. I'm going to talk about that. But our core staff, 10 years later, there's one I know who's still in the classroom. And he won the North Carolina Science Teacher of the Year a couple of years ago. And he's still there. So 10 years later, he's still at the same school doing a great job building little leaders, little science leaders. Two of my teachers are principals. Two are instructional coaches in organizations. One is a college professor after being a curriculum coordinator first. Now he's a, he's a professor at the University of Georgia. Another has her license as a speech language pathologist. And there's a couple that left the professions to be stay-at-home moms, which I believe is the hardest job on the planet. Now, I hope it wasn't me that chased them out of the profession, but they did leave. Some were better off leaving, actually. Kids, kids are better. So in my three years of being a middle school director, the school did have a tendency to turn over a lot of people. So just remember, I was the fourth director in three years. Right? So the fact that I was able to stay there three years <laughs> was one thing. But I didn't, I didn't do the reputation justice literally turning over every single position except one in that entire time. And that teacher is actually still there too. So I mean, if you think about it, when I first started, there was eight content teachers and support teachers. By the time I left, we had, I think, 10 content teachers and three or four exceptional children and some other support. So we didn't grow too much, but I basically turned over the entire staff except one person. And turned over period is bad for business. The impact, it's, it's a giant tidal wave on your organization, you know, most importantly because of the costs to the organization. So lost time, lost skills, lost resource, lost credibility, lost in intellectual property, loss of ideas. It's, it's huge. It's huge. It's catastrophic to some. So keeping your turnover low can create an atmosphere of, of trust and relations and community. And this really should be the goal of any organization because teacher turnover directly impacts student achievement. So when I think about that list of core teachers, that were really you know that have, have have you know sustained success and grown their leadership capacity and despite me right right <laughs> and instead of it wasn't me who did it they they were just very self driven uh, um, goal oriented people I think where did I get them from and I call them teammates because I think employee is an ugly term I think employees are just there to steal 
uh, right? Steal time, steal energy, steal efforts, whatever. Um, so, and even even some even good employees really only work at fifty percent capacity, right? So we want teammates. Good employees are fifty percent. Bad employees, well. They're unwilling, disengaged, they destroy morale, they make costly mistakes, alienate your clients. They got the productivity of a roadkill. Let's just let's just face it, right? They cost you more in intangible damages than their actual wage. And they're not even the bottom of the barrel. The bottom of the barrel is the ugly employee. They're just massive financial costs. Massive financial um, costs when you hire the wrong person, right? So you got teammates. Good employees, bad employees, ugly employees. So if you think about it, if you add the cost of recruiting, uh, paying, training, maintaining, and and you know those severely performing, right? Those those ugly performing employees. If you add that cost, recruiting, paying, training, maintaining, those people along with their mistakes and missed opportunities, it's really like 6 to 15 times of their salary. I mean, just think about it, the time, energy, lost, dealing with those that very, very bottom of the barrel. So bottom line is this. Good employees are barely productive. Bad employees, well, you're just cutting them a check to make you more miserable. So do the math. And the higher their position in the school, the scarier the overall penalty, right? It's like you're paying them to light piles of money on fire, spread cancer, and just run the train right off the tracks. Did I get your attention yet? Like, are you guys feeling me here? <laughs> great employees, great teammates. Teammates are free. That's what I want you to remember. Teammates are free. They make your life easier and the school run better. They'll set you free from additional work, additional parent meetings, fires, daily emergencies, all those things that come up. And when I think about the mistakes that I made in every hire, there was always a missing step, right? a missing clue, or um, I rushed to make a decision, or I made a, it's the best we got decision. Right? I, I hired <laughs> based on hope not evidences. Right? I hired based on hope, not evidences. And so I want you to remember, a, a school is a school, no matter where it is. And all schools have students. The difference is, you know, the difference between a bad school, a good school, to a great school is one thing. The adults in the building. It's the only difference. Kids are the constant. Adults are the variable. That's the difference between a bad school to a good school to a great school is the adults in the building. So the single most important part of your job, principals, superintendents, headmasters, executive directors, whoever, whatever your title is, the most important part of your job is picking and maintaining the right people. There is nothing more important than this. So if you want to improve your school, you want students to learn more, you want to reduce your own stress, you want to be the best in the market, improve your hiring process. It's completely within your control. 
Now here's a secret that I've learned. I want you to think about this. A-level leaders hire A-level people. B-level leaders hire C-level people. And even if an A-level player somehow sneaks by and gets hired by a B-level leader, they're not going to stay very long. And the B-level leader is not going to trust him. They're not going to put him in opportunities. I still remember to this day, I remember specifically sitting in the room when I was a principal and looking at uh, resumes and watching the other members of the hiring team say, oh, look at this person. They're not going to stay along. Look, they're just, they're just rising up through the ranks. Now, what the heck was their characters, their credentials, and all those other things? Like, we didn't even look at it. How many times have you done that? Joy Warner, one of the best charter school leaders I've ever met, and she's probably tired of me bringing her up on these calls, but I'm going to keep doing it. She used her love when people would use her organization for a step up because she knew that they were going to bring drive, desire, and talent, and as long as they had great character and fit within a collaborative method, she didn't care whether they spent one year. She hoped that they would spend 10. She hoped that they would fall in love with the environment. She didn't put a barrier up, an invisible barrier. Too many, too many times we put barriers up. We put a barrier for when it comes to talent and drive. See, the fact is that B-level leaders, what I've seen and learned, they hire C-level people to make themselves look better, more competent, more in charge. And I'm so sorry that it's true. Take a look around you. I see it every year. You should at all times strive to be the dumbest person at the table, surrounding yourself with smart, driven, like-minded, high-valued, with great character people. Don't train people to be successful. Hire them for success. Okay, don't train them to be successful. It's a big important part of the process. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Equipping people and you know, developing them is key. But if you can already bring a successful, like-minded, strong character person in, do it. <laughs> do it. Find a way. Find a position for them. What the hell does it matter? You're a charter school. You do what you want. So I'm going to talk about some components of a good hiring process. And I haven't done a great job of, of, of really – organizing these thoughts. So they might be all over, but you guys know me by now. I'm, how I do anything, I do everything, right? So these are from books, books that I've read. Entree Leadership, it's a great book by Dave uh, Ramsey. The Entrepreneur Roller Coaster, it's a book by Darren Hardy. He used to be the, um, the editor of Success Magazine. Uh, uh, the book Who, right, which is an incredible book that every principal should definitely read. And this is by um, Daniel Pink. It's called Who? and some of my experiences. Oh, also The Ideal Team Player by Patrick Lencioni is here. I got all sorts of books here in front of me, all sorts. Whew, okay, are you exhausted yet? Because I am. All right, here we go. The first thing you have to do 
all right, is you have to lay out clarity in the position, okay? Clarity in the, in the position. What skills, what requirements, what execution will they need to do, okay? The first failure in hiring is not being crystal clear on what you desire the individual being hired is to accomplish. I'll say that again. The first failure in hiring is not being crystal clear on what you desire the individual being hired is to accomplish. So clarity in the position, clarity in the skills required, okay? clarity in the interpersonal skills required, hard skills, soft skills. What are they executing? And so in um, the book Who, he talks about, uh, he, Daniel Pink, talks about building a scorecard. Okay? Build a scorecard. So what's the job mission? What's the job competencies? And what's the job outcome? This will determine your hiring strategy. So let me just think about this. Typically, and I've told this story, I've, this has happened a few times over the last couple of years, that I've seen leaders, heads of schools, hire, hire instructional coaches. Right? And when they're hiring these instructional coaches, typically they're hiring the best teacher in their own organization. They're promoting internally. And I love promotion from inside. I think that is the greatest strategy. However, because they weren't crystal clear on what you desire the individual being hired to accomplish, I've seen turmoil, I've seen conflict, I've seen turnover. Okay, if you're going to hire someone to be a coach, make sure they can have the skills to coach. Make sure they have the mindset to coach. Make sure that they have the understanding of what a coach does. What's the desired outcomes you aim for me to be? Okay, build a scorecard. Job mission, job competency, job outcomes. And your mission is just, it's just in essence, it's a short, a short job statement, right? What the, what the job is. The outcomes is defining what's, what has to get done. You know, three to eight, no more than that, three to eight outcomes. And the competencies is a behavioral fit, right? That their core values match the position. Mission, outcomes, competencies. So one of, the, one of the main indicators I see in underperforming teams is not having a written objectives per uh, position. There's so many leadership teams out there that have unclear job descriptions. They have no idea what they're responsible for, so they just do. They just act busy and do it, and um, that's a problem. So if you're on this call and your leadership team doesn't have clear job descriptions, clear outcomes, like clear key results, like what are they responsible for, Start there. <laughs> Start there. All right. So the next part, part of your scorecard is also, when you have these scorecards in place, you can set clear expectations. You monitor the employee progress. You, are, you, know, you, you can create annual reviews very easily based upon these outcomes. And you can rate your direct reports and your overall team success. It's giving you the bottom line before you start. OK? 
Okay? Remember, in order to improve something, you have to be able to measure it. In order to measure it, you have to be able to define it. So define the job that you want, build the measurables in place, and therefore you can improve it. So there's part one. Part two, do the work. Some call it who luck, some call it faith. I call it awareness. Okay? Awareness. Know what you're looking for. Okay? When you've got your scorecard down, now I know what I'm looking for and understand the law of the inner circle. Your success will be directly correlated to those that you surround yourself with. So it's attitude, personality, style, skills, and experience. So if you're looking within your inner circle to fill this position, who do you know that I should know? I have this position available. I want you to start building relationships with as many schools of education as you can, anywhere. Specifically, if they have a, a unique education program that aligns to your education plan, like Montessori or experiential learning or whatever it is, do it. No matter where they are, I don't care where they are. Start building relationships. Now, when I realized that none of my current teachers on my staff were middle grade certified, I made friends with the entire middle grades program at UNC Wilmington. Now, I happened to be a grad student there at the time, so it was very easy. I got my introductions. If I didn't know people, hey, will you, will you introduce me? And I would tell them who I am, and I'd tell them about the school that I led, and I'd invite the professors over to see our, our school in the woods and all the data that we had. And hey, you got any field experience people? Send them over. You got any IRB opportunities? You, you know, you doing any research? You want to come out here? Come, come do it. It was much easier for them to get an IRB, um, you know, the Internal Re uh, Review Board at our school because it was, it was one step, yes. Compared to a school system, it was many layers. Okay? You've got to do the work. I'm going to go back to this quote here that I said earlier, if I can find it the most important part, right? The most important part of your job. The single most important part of your job is picking and maintaining the right people. Nothing more as important than that. By developing those people will be next. That's for another call. So I, I utilize our current staff. I talk to my most effective teachers about who do you know. I was able to recruit my entire social studies department through inner circle conversations. Inner circle conversations. I trusted the source. They knew what kind of school we had. They knew what type of person would fit, and they specifically pointed me to the person. I brought them in. I took them through the process. Bam best social studies department the school's ever had for three years. They were incredible. Built so many great initiatives. I didn't have to do anything. I didn't have to do anything except ask a couple people, who do you know that I should know? Now recently, uh, two years ago, I was recruiting a principal for a local charter school here in uh, Raleigh. And we weren't really getting the best candidates. And I was like, oh, good luck. I started texting every school leader I knew in the area, everybody. I told them exactly what we were looking for. And one guy said, 
hey, you know, I just hired a teacher, and his wife's a principal, and she's in New Jersey, and she'll need a job when she comes down. Boom. Three months later, boom, executive director. Yes. It wasn't because I put an ad out on Indeed. It's because I sent a text message to someone I know, like, and trust. And that person know, likes, and trusts me. Hope is not a strategy. You're going to get what you fight for. So go fight for the best. Another law you need to know is the law of magnetism. You are who you attract. I already mentioned that A-level leaders right, hire A-level people. Well, the same goes for teachers. It's very rare to find an A-level teacher from a B or a C-level source. Okay? So be mindful of the people that are being brought to you. And also the law of the big picture. People do what people see. So what is your reputation in the community? Recently when working with a low-performing school, they had an issue with a student who really needed more services and support, more like an alternative school setting. So the head of school, doing her diligence, she started Googling alternative schools in her community. And you know what school popped up at the top of the list? Hers. <laughs> her school popped up. This might explain the lack of candidates that she was getting. So what's the reputation of your school in the community? How do you know? Have you ever visited your school as a guest? Have you ever called your school as a guest? What's it like? Is it easy? Is it chaotic? Is it frustrating? What's the culture? What's the community say about the culture of your school? All right. Let's keep going. Hopefully you've already got at least one good idea, one good gem out of this so far. So talking about having a process, right? So, so okay, so you've done the recruiting. You've got your candidates. You're bringing them in. Now remember, you're not trying to collect resumes, right? So be very crystal clear on the objectives and the outcomes for your job. The last thing you want to do, I, I just remember having like 400 resumes. I don't know why, I just kept them there. I had, they were everywhere in my office. Remember I told you I had so much freaking turnover, right? But pretty much nobody I hired ever came from a resume because if I couldn't figure out what you were applying for in the first 30 seconds of reading your resume, I threw it out. I threw it to the side with the other pile. Okay, so, so first of all, you're, you're not a resume collector. Okay? So resume reading is a team activity. You should have a clear rubric, clear expectations based upon what it is that you're trying to hire. Right? So based upon the soft skills, hard skills, your values, create a rubric, bring your team together, everybody's reading. Because remember, the people on the team are the ones that are going to have to be working with them. So they should be part of the process. Maybe as they're sending in their resume, they're also sending in some sort of special project, a five-minute video about them, right? Maybe it's a lesson that they've done, whatever it is. 
find a way to gather as much information on the forefront. If you're not preparing on the front end, you will be repairing on the back end. I don't know how many times I have to say it, but it is a fact. It is a law. Prepare in the front, you'll be better off. So as much information as you can gather ahead of time, check references if you want. Okay, bring that team in. Have a team as part of the process. Have the team do an interview or Skype call. Build, you know, five or six common questions and 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 have them in pairs and record the call. Record the call. You know, maybe the call is 15, 20 minutes, and have everybody in the team. Hey, within a week, listen to these calls like during your car ride in. We're going to rate these people together when we come together. I mean, whatever it is. Okay. Ask some resume questions, some core value questions. Your orientation to your organization really begins at that at that first job posting, if you think about it. Okay, what type of client are you expecting to get? What, I'm sorry, what, what type of applicant do you, do you expect to get is going to be driven based upon that post. So you've already uh, gathered your resumes. They've, your team's read them. They've you know, gone through their initial uh, screening call. Okay, you want to make sure you've got clear rubrics and evaluation tools based upon the desired outcomes of the position. Already ready, you've trained everybody and what they're looking for, right? Now maybe you're making reference calls, right? What is it that you want to know? How they handle stressful situations? Uh, tell me about a situation where they failed. How did they react? Tell me about how they received feedback. Like whatever is critical to your organization and your growth as leaders, internal leaders is important. Ask those types of questions in the references. And you're asking for supervisory references. Okay, you could ask the person on the screening call. Hey, when I call your supervisors, what what score are they going to give you on a rate of one to ten? Or tell me about your last three jobs. If they start bad mouthing their staff or bad mouthing their supervisor, guess what they're going to be doing a year from now? They're going to be bad mouthing you, right? So the the most information you can gather from them at the beginning, you're going to be better on the back end. Okay. Make sure you ask good questions. And listen to hidden words, hidden terms, hidden clues. Because the people giving references, they can't really give bad references. But they can say things that makes you realize, hmm, I've had many incidences like that. How did I miss that? I go back to my notes. Oh, they did tell me that they wouldn't make a good leadership position. They'd be a really good teacher. Just leave them in the classroom and leave them alone. They get really stressed fast. Next step is getting them on campus, right? We got to a point where we, you know, we were in such a really good spot that I didn't talk to any applicant until they spent two or three days on campus. You had to know that this was a school that was for you. Remember, I told you our school was very rigid. We had very strict policies. We had a very clear education plan. Like there was no kind of wavering out of it. So they would spend days. We would assign them to a teacher. They'd come in. They'd shadow a teacher for a couple of days. You're going to find out a lot about someone if you spend some downtime with them. Have them have lunch with you. Okay. I've read many stories in some of these books about leaders saying, hey, um, I need to go run to the drugstore. Do you mind taking a car ride with me? We can walk. You know, we can talk on the way. Catch them with the guard down. Okay. Get them on campus. Make it a requirement. Okay. 
the next time that they come back, the next time that they uh, come back for their interview, right? They're just there to kind of scatter. Are you going to have them do some mock lessons if they're teaching? Are they right? You know, you talk about Henderson Collegiate. They that you you send a lesson plan ahead of time. They critique the lesson plan, send it back to you for you to change it and give it feedback. You send it back in. Then they come. Then they stop the lesson mid and give you on-the-fly coaching right there as you're teaching a lesson. They see how you can handle it because that's what they do. What is it that you do? How does your hiring process mimic your daily experience? So build it out. Maybe, maybe students are part of the process. Maybe students have some interview time. Maybe parents have some time depending on the position where you're trying to get to. The more people you can get in front of these candidates, the better shot you're going to be able to know, like, and trust them to hire them. Now, be conscious of some interesting requests. Now, I remember when I was first hired by Charter Day School as a teacher, the the supervisor he wanted to meet my wife. And I was like, well, that's weird. Well, so you know, we brought her, but we wanted to make sure it was a good fit. And I read a lot about you know about this about bringing spouses, right? Is it a is it a, does it seem like it's a happy home? <laughs> because if it's not happy at home, guess where else it's not going to be happy, everybody? It ain't going to be happy in your home. And now you're going to have to deal with them, right? Constantly miserable, constantly out of work, constantly things happening, whatever it is. Or maybe they got bad financial situations. They always need raises or they're always complaining about their pay or whatever. I mean, look, I think one of the most important things you could do for your people is to teach financial literacy classes for all of them. I wish someone would have done that for me. I was a dummy when it comes to finances. Dummy. Okay? The more you can build your people and build their capacity, the more you can get in front of them when they're hiring, the more you can orient and build values, the better you're going to be as an organization. So if you're looking, as you've got your key results, you want to make sure that your hiring process aligns to the desired outcomes. Like what are the specific outcomes that you want? Collaboration, effective teaching, classroom management, coaching. Like what are you trying to get them to do? If whatever you want them to do, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta watch them do it. You gotta set up an opportunity for them to actually do it in front of you. Okay. You want to create this avatar. This avatar of the perfect employee. Okay, what is that? What does that look like? <sighs> One other strategy that I've actually used that was effective is I gave somebody $100 cash. I said, look, if somebody brings in a staff member, somebody brings in a colleague into this organization, somebody risks and go out there and recruit somebody, and they last 90 days, if they fill a position, last 90 days, I will come to a staff meeting and I will pay you. $100 in cash. And I did that. I did it in front of everybody. Paid them $100 cash. Man of my word. Because, because I realized that this $100 was totally worth me not having to go recruit a music teacher because I didn't know a music teacher. I would have no idea where to find a music teacher. So why does turnover occur? It first occurs because of failure in your leadership of your hiring process. You are responsible for developing and coaching them. 
there's really no such thing as a non-regrettable loss as much as we want to say. If you hired them, you're responsible for them. If your people got uh, personal problems, help them. Find a way. Okay? Turnover is expensive. Is incompetence a problem? Well, everybody's incompetent in one way or another. The Peter Principle says that everybody in life will be hired into incompetence. So be careful and release folks from their weaknesses. Know their passions and their areas for strength. You start to learn these things during the hiring process because you've spent time with them. You've invested in them. Honoring and valuing people's time is critical. Right? And how you do anything is how you do everything. I'm going to end with this last, this last secret tip. Be slow to hire and be quick to fire. I hope this was valuable to you. If it was, share it. Right? If it was really valuable, follow it. Right? Start to take a look at your hiring process. Start to follow through these steps to begin to, to grow. Right? This is the time. It's, it's February. This is the time you need to start, start thinking about recruiting and hiring. Okay, build relationships. Don't rely on resumes. Don't rely on job fairs. Go get the best. And you're going to get the best by doing the work ahead of time. So excited you spent some time with me today. Again, like I said, if you think this was a great call, go ahead and share it with a colleague. And hey, happy to spend an hour of time with you on a call. Right? Anytime you want, complimentary thinking partner sessions. I'm happy to, to sit there and help you think through how you can improve uh, your hiring process. And always include me in your inner circle. You never know who I know that could bring you the luck that takes your organization to the next level. Thanks again, everybody. Again, this is Tom Miller, and so excited you spent this time on our Blueprint for Success call.